Welcome to the In the Oil Patch radio show, broadcasting from the SR Trident studio. SR Trident, where safety is a culture, not just a word. In the Oil Patch radio show with Kimball Auto is where you will hear the latest in the oil, gas, and energy industry from a wide variety of industry experts, elected officials, and more, right here on In the Oil Patch radio show. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kimball Otto, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We'll be joined by Lewis Black, who is the CEO of Omonti Industries. But first, I'd like to tell you about our latest issue of Shell Magazine, in which we featured Nick Dulles, who is the CEO of CNX Resources. Now, they are a new refining company that's located in the Marcellus Shell, which is near Pittsburgh. So we're pretty excited about being able to feature them and talking about what's happening in the Pittsburgh area. It's an article and an issue that you don't want to miss. Plus, there's a whole lot of other great stories in there, especially if you want to know more about oil, gas, and energy. For more information, please go to shale, S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. Now it's time for me to welcome on the editor of Shell Magazine and my co-host, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in the oil patch. It sure is. And you know, we're down here in Houston. We have OTC going on. And it is very nice to see that they seem to be back in business prior to COVID in the sense of the exhibits, the attendees, the great information that is being disseminated, as well as the speakers that are talking. It's a great show. Uh, Today is their last day. They wind down. So by the time this airs, it will be in the books and other record-breaking attendees for OTC for this year. But yeah, David, it's, let's... it's great to have that conference back because it is a real bellwether to, you know, signal that the industry's back and healthy and growing again. It has so many attendees that come to Houston, but but it looked like it was pretty close to being back to normal. Maybe it was a yeah. little, but it was great. And so anyway, we're excited that we were able to attend. Let's talk about oil prices because once again, they are skyrocketing uh, this past week with WTI topping 110 per barrel on Thursday. Watch Crystal Ball and mm. tell us why is it at 110 and is this a good sign for the oil and gas industry? Well, you know, it's a mixed bag for the oil and gas industry. I mean, you're going to make some profits while prices are high, but you run the risk of demand destruction, um, you know, and it, and it it's a hardship on everyone and you get blamed for it. So it's, I don't think any oil producer really wants prices to be quite this high. It's, it's uh, not a healthy thing for anyone. Um, but the main factor causing them to jump up so dramatically this week, which was over 10%, uh, was because the European Union is trying to figure out a way to put sanctions on Russia's oil industry mm-hmm. and, and ban imports from Russia into Europe, which is a very difficult thing for those countries to do since they allowed themselves to become so dependent on Russia. Um, so that produced a lot of that price increase, but then it's just the the fact that the market remains undersupplied, as we've talked about the last several weeks, even with Biden's big drawdown, uh, the the market is undersupplied, and and so, you know, prices are going to probably continue going up, and I don't know 
when that stops, frankly. I, I still think we'll see $150 oil prices before the end of this year. That is crazy when you think about how this is going to have an impact on all of us as well when we start yeah. seeing those kind of numbers. Let's talk about natural gas because I don't think we, we really quite can comprehend what is $150 a barrel. What does that mean for us? And I, and I want to try to drill down into that, but let's get to natural gas first, and then I'll come back to it. Um, it spiked this week, rising over $8 per MMBTU for the first time since 2008. Mm-hmm. And Reuters reported that a lot of this is due to what, what we always talk about, which is a lack of pipeline. And we're always dealing with that topic since yeah. this administration continues its all-out assault on permitting pipelines and continuing to obstruct any real progress that's meaningful. But is this an accurate reflection that it's due to the lack of pipeline being able to be laid in the United States? Yeah, and you know, we talked about that uh, on our last show with uh, the guys from the Texas Pipeline Association and the reality that um, we're, we're not able to build ad- we have adequate capacity in Texas, but it's these other basins like the Marcellus Shale and the Haynesville Shale uh, and some of the basins up in the Rocky Mountains where the federal government is refusing to permit new pipeline takeaway capacity to get the gas out of the basin. So you can't produce the gas if you can't move it to market. and. Um, and, and as a result, our supply situation is very tight right now. Um, storage levels are at, uh, at low as they've been this century, really. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that, that produces a lot of upward pressure on the price because these traders are looking out to this coming winter and storage levels this low mean that we could have shortages of natural gas supply in the next winter. And, and so it's, it's uh, the Biden administration is responsible for it. They're doing it intentionally. And, and this is the result. And, you know, um, Wall Street Journal quoted Barclays this week is, is predicting that uh, our utility bills are going to be 40% higher by the end of this year because of the spiking gas prices. So it's, again, another tax on consumers that is brought to you by Joe Biden and his uh, administration. And I want to stay on the topic of natural gas because just quickly, um, so we've had many discussions on, you mentioned the Marcella shell and, you know, prior to the invasion of Ukraine, we actually had uh, that area in that region importing uh, natural gas from countries like Russia. Since the invasion. Up in the Northeast, yeah. Yeah. How has how has that how has that changed for them in the sense that it hasn't probably been good? In what ways are no. they feeling from? Oh, no, you know, I mean, yeah, uh, because we can't build a pipeline 300 miles from the Marcellus Shale to Boston, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because New York State won't allow any pipelines across their state. Those folks up there are paying wildly higher utility bills than we are because they're having to import natural gas from overseas, from Russia, from Algeria, from South America. And and they're paying three times what we pay for natural gas up there. So it's insane. It's absolute societal insanity. And, and, you know, it has to stop at some point because 
people are getting to where they can't afford to live, can't afford to buy food. Right. And uh, it's it's uh, really tragic because none of it's necessary. Well, you know, where it's going to stop is in November when people go the, because they're so, so fenced from uh, these prices that uh, I think their their base is going to come out and vote the opposite. At least that's what I'm hearing. Everybody's like, I will not vote Democrat this year, even though I'm one of like, well, just remember what Donald Trump. Yeah, said. remember and that consequence. And, yeah, exactly. And they do. Let's talk quick, quickly about gasoline and diesel prices. They also are out of control, which is affecting everything that we go and buy, whether it's the grocery stores or gas. Um, that has been up. But wasn't the Biden big drawdown from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve supposed to stop this? I mean, this is where <laughs> we bring, you know, you some, we're going to help you at the pump and we're going to bring down these prices. So has that worked? No, it hadn't worked, and 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 you know, it, it, as we talked discussed when he announced it, it wasn't going to work, um, and and it, because it just it, they don't understand how markets work, and and so, you know, and so the the high big ironic uh, part of that is this this week, the Biden administration is now putting out a plan to refill what they're taking out, so <laughs> they're already planning to buy oil to put back in. To the strategic petroleum reserve and take that much oil off the market which is going to cause prices to go higher which we predicted three weeks ago or four weeks ago when he made the announcement it's just it's insanity it, it drives me crazy insanity i, I can hardly stand to read about it anymore i'm sorry right. what? It, it's insanity but on a seven-year-old's level i mean and you right. would that they don't <laughs> understand and and david i'm just you are the president of the united states hire someone, get a tool <laughs> in place that really understands economics and how this energy is so important to the overall health of the country financially. And maybe just maybe you'll start understanding and making better decisions. But I, I think I have a feeling they're going to continue on this track until November when the American voter uh, finally stops this insanity and cleans house with the Democrat party. So, so somebody's back in charge that can stop uh uh, you know what's happening here, and and if we do in November, do a you know give me a prediction. If we do have a upset in November, how do you see this getting better for for all of us in the oil and gas sector, and of course the the community, well, the people? I mean, the Republicans will have to be very firm in defunding these agencies that are are, are causing all the problems. They'll have to. I mean, the only way Congress can stop it is to is to refuse to fund. The FERC and the Interior Department and the Energy Department uh, until they reverse policies, and um, so it's it, it's going to be a big fight. And I you know, honestly, I hope the Republicans have the stomach for it. Uh, their track record isn't so great, frankly, when they're in the majority. But we'll see. David, that is all the time that we have. But coming back for a break, David, we're going to be joined by Lewis Black, who is the CEO of Omonte Industries. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. SR Trident is a veteran-owned and operated industrial construction company. Established in 2012 by co-founders Stephen Snyder and Ryan Berthold, SR Trident has positioned itself as an expert in the industrial construction sector. With mounting business expansions, they've assembled a team of skilled, experienced, and able individuals 
or dedicated to meeting client needs as they evolve. SR Trident Safety Record is impeccable as they've won a number of awards, including the ABC National Safety Excellence Award in 2020. With exceptional leadership and experience driving their gains, SR Trident can tackle any project and are ready to let their talent be the driving force in the energy industry. Call today, 361-776-2662 or visit online at srtrident.com to request a bid proposal today. Psst. Hey you, do you want to join the fastest growing oil and gas network in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business, so you've got my attention. What is it? Teak is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free, no charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to shalemag.com slash teak and click on the join link. Enter your information and we'll get you set up. Join the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition at shalemag.com slash teak today. And now, David, it's time for us to welcome on our guest, a new guest to our show, Lewis Black, who is the CEO of Almonte Industries. Lewis, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you very much for having me. This is the first time you've been on our show, and you do a great job of helping us understand some of the expertise that your company is in. And a lot of it has to do with what we want to talk about today, supply chains, global supply chains. Because, uh, you know, we believe that um, this is something that we should all be paying attention to. And so we and David are happy that you decided to join us on the show today and talk to us about what you believe uh, is happening with the with the lockdowns in China. But before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about what is Almonte Industries? What specifically do you do and your background? Well, we're, we're the largest producers of tungsten concentrate outside of China. And tungsten, there's a little bit of tungsten in everything part of your life, whether it be automotive, aerospace, medical, defense, uh, new greener technologies, batteries, semiconductors, and all of our customers are vertical. So we supply them with the raw material, and then it goes all the way through to the finished product, and then they sell to all the great corporations of the world, the Apples, the Boeings, the Airbuses, uh, the Teslas. So we, we have a really uh, a very unusual way that we can look into the sort of future because we, we see firsthand how these corporations are, what worries them, what doesn't worry them, what their thoughts are a long way before the rest of the market really sees it because we, we are essentially on the ground. And my background for my sins is that I've been in tungsten pretty much all of my life. Um, we are fifth generation tungsten miners. Uh, we've, you know, my team in Portugal has been going for well, not all of them. Um, they're not that old, but the 126 years that mine has been going. So they've been through, you know, a couple of world wars, their, their fathers, grandfathers, great grandfathers. Um, we are uh, slightly geeky in that sense. Uh, but we, we do love, we do love tungsten um, because it's a completely alien metal. Uh, nothing else performs like it. it. You can't smelt it because it, it melts slightly less than the temperature of the sun. You can only sinter it. It's very brittle to handle, but it's very durable. Um, I can go on all day about the tungsten, oh. but I think <laughs> you've got enough. You get the gist. 
Um, and, and I think we have, as I said, a very unique insight into what's really going on. Give me a description of, you, you talk about tungsten and many people have not heard of it. So what is it used? You said it's used in everything, but can you give us Ooh. a few examples? Well, okay, if we, on an industrial level, they use it, for instance, in the manufacturing of, of airplanes. So an airplane needs about 3 million rivets. And to put those rivet holes in, they use what's called a tungsten insert, so you get precision holes. Otherwise, the, the plane tends to drop out of the sky. So it's quite important part of it. <laughs> I would agree um, with you. <laughs> and, 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 and so that's, say, an industrial, or, or you know, when you're manufacturing a, a vehicle, uh, you know, the gearbox, the, the braking system, the catalytic converters, you, you, tungsten is used in the, in the construction of, of those, not only in the parts, but also in the, in the cutting. And then it goes to defense, so they use it in penetrators, bullets, munitions, uh, to replace uranium tipped. And then into the more modern, well, modern, more technology-centric uh, areas, they use it, say, a tungsten gas is pumped into every semiconductor to coat the inside of, a, of, of every semiconductor for conductivity and to disperse heat. So it has a myriad of uses. And even the vibrator in your phone, they use it in television and phone screens. There's a little bit of it in everything. David, were you aware of this mirror no, product? No, I was not. <laughs> I wasn't That's either. incredible. It is. <laughs> um, well, so so let's get started by you know David and I we we talk a lot about oil and gas, and obviously what seems to make the mainstream media is always the climate change uh, debate, and you know what's happening with the price of crude uh, and at the pump and at the grocery store. What most people can really identify with the mainstream part of oil and gas. However, they don't really think about what it takes to get it to market. And so when we use words like upstream, midstream, or downstream, most people don't really understand what, what that means, but yet it's a part of how it, we process oil and gas. And so, you know, that being said, there's a whole entire supply chain issue that when we go offline or China, who is very important to the oil and gas sector in many ways for our products, goes offline for any a given amount of time, it, it could lead to really uh, severe problems. So that's what we hope to uncover today on the show. But let's get started, though, real quick. Give us a little bit of the scenario of what's happening in China right now. Well, when you said, you know, China goes offline, it can affect oil and gas. Well, you use actually rather a lot of tungsten in oil and gas for the drills. Yeah. So they're all tungsten tips, and they're actually, it's a special type of tungsten compound that they use. It's very specific. Um, in fact, probably the most famous manufacturer in the U.S. is Kenametal. They make a, a fantastic product for oil and gas drilling. Um, and we can always see, you know, how many rigs are coming online because we always see forward orders of tungsten. So we often know what the rig count is going to be before the market does because we see an uptick in, in orders. Um What's going on in China is, is they're obviously approaching the, the COVID uh, issue very differently from everyone else. I mean, some countries tried the zero COVID approach and then threw in the towel with the new variant. Um, because Australia was the best Australia example. Australia and New Zealand, there, right? South yeah. Korea even tried it. Yeah. Um, but, but there's nothing you can do. I mean, the reality is uh, it, it's contagious and that's just what it is. The good news is, is that we, you know, we're getting through it. We sent, you know, I'm an English American. So we sent the Brits in first to see where, because they, they obviously, you know, lifted up everything much quicker. We let's see what happened to them. They were the guinea pigs. They all survived. So we said, well, okay, then and we'll, we'll start to loosen up. Um, but China has gone a different route. 
why we can only speculate. I, I think there's lots of conspiracy theories. Does their vaccine work? Does it not? Is it a question of, of you know, political pride? Who knows? What's important is right now there is a, an unusual situation. You have the, the industrial centers or the commercial centers closing down, but the rural areas not. And mines as such are in rural areas. And you're seeing in that instance, depression in pricing because there's no customers. Right. So well, they're still I'm producing raw materials, but there's, there's no customers because they're closing those centers down. And listening to the media, it's it's pretty dire over there. Uh, Lewis, let's take a quick break and then let's get back on China okay. and see what's happening. You're listening to an oil patch radio show. We'll be right back. SR Trident is a veteran-owned and operated industrial construction company established in 2012 by co-founders Stephen Snyder and Ryan Berthold. SR Trident has positioned itself as an expert in the industrial construction sector. With mounting business expansions, they've assembled a team of skilled, experienced, and able individuals who are dedicated to meeting client needs as they evolve. SR Trident's safety record is impeccable as they've won a number of awards, including the ABC National Safety Excellence Award in 2020. With exceptional leadership and experience driving their gains, SR Trident can tackle any project and are ready to let their talent be the driving force in the energy industry. Call today, 361-776-2662 or visit online at srtrident.com to request a bid proposal today. We're back. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Lewis Black, who is the CEO of Almonte Industries. You were talking about what's happening in China with the lockdowns due to COVID. Um, take us back through how significant is this to the U.S.? Well, you're certainly going to feel an impact because, as I was saying, you've got the engine is running, as in the raw material production is still ongoing in, in China because they're in rural, more isolated areas. But the, the drive, the, the driver, the, the steering wheel is locked down. So basically, they are producing. They just, just can't get it to the places it needs to be. The factories are manufacturing the downstream when you're taking a raw material and you're converting it into, I don't know, a battery, for instance. And then, of course, you've got to get it from that factory to the port and then export it. When you lock down Shanghai, and, and this isn't a lockdown that we saw in, say, the US or in Europe, well, we saw it a couple of months in Spain, but that's another question. This is, you're not allowed to leave your house. It's great. They, they, you know, they drop, hopefully they remember to drop food for you. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> you're, you're, you're dumpster surfing. I mean, it's, it's, this is a, a disaster on many levels. And we haven't seen it right, a, a huge impact because there is inventory being carried in the US. But inventory is not endless. What is the standard inventory that's carried? Well, in produce, maybe three weeks, maybe four. Uh, maybe four wear parts. Maybe you have eight weeks, maybe 10. But when the, when the vessels stop coming and the products stop getting shipped and you start to run dry on certain items, and some of these items will be uh, essential items. You know, it's not just you can't get a TV this week. Um, they could be... MRI machines, you know, the shielding for MRI machines, for instance, uh, there could be essential products that I think we've seen in, in, in the car manufacturing. One little piece missing brings the whole thing to, to an end. So you can't get a semiconductor, car plants have stopped. 
so the true impact of what's going to happen is is unknown at this time, but I, I think you need to brace and, and be ready that this is going to get worse before it gets better if these lockdowns continue in China as they are. Yeah, you know, and Lewis, I mean, it could also uh, get into to shortages of food, right? I mean, the president and other global leaders have been actively warning the public about potential food shortages resulting from Russia's war on Ukraine. But I mean, also what's happening in China can impact uh, the food supply as well. And uh, just talk about those kinds of things. I mean, do do you really foresee uh, significant food shortages happening around the world here as as the year goes on? I think some parts of the world are going to feel it more than others. I think what you're going to see is you're going to see your amount of choice be reduced. So I don't think we're going to be in a situation where a famine is going to descend upon us. Um, But I think you're going to see certainly a reduction in in choices. And yes, Ukraine Ukraine being taken out of the picture, they're the, the breadbasket of Europe. So that is going to have an effect, absolutely, no doubt. And you're going to feel it probably predominantly in the EU. But you should be ready for the fact your shelves are not going to be stocked quite as enthusiastically as they were. Uh, but I don't think you're going to be in a situation where, you know, you're going to starve. I, I think you're, you just it's going to be an inconvenience. You're not going to be happy. But the US also produces a lot of its, of its own food. I mean, you know, it's not like there isn't a, a very efficient and very large farming belt. Right. Yeah, no, I'm concerned more about the third world. I mean, wouldn't the the developing nations like in Africa and Asia really be most likely to be the first impacted by any food shortages? They're certainly going to be impacted, especially when a lot of the produce they receive are are essentially overflows of wheat, for instance, from Ukraine. Those gifts are not going to be there. So, yes, there there, there can be certainly a problem in, in, in developing nations. Absolutely. And you know, Lewis um, and David, you've seen that um, a lot of the automotive uh, dealers have come out with, um, or the main dealers have come out with their new EV lines, and, and they are sweet looking. A lot of them, yeah, beautiful the cars. Line, the, the trucks from GM and Ford, they're out, and, and they just look fantastic. But I'm curious to understand if you know we've had and we've been talking, David, you and I on the show for quite some time about the, sh- the chip shortage that's happening, and this is why a lot of people are having difficulties buying and acquiring cars. A lot of people are having to stay with their used car, the car they have, as opposed to going to the dealer. A lot of dealers aren't even offering factory rebates anymore. You pay sticker price, and some dealers are even paying more. You know, asking the consumer to pay more than what is on sticker price. And that's just because of a lack of inventory. And a lot of it comes back to the chip shortage that we've been experiencing here coming out of China. When we get back from break, let's get on that topic, because what are we going to see now as a result of China being locked down? And and another question I have is, it seems like the media really isn't making a big deal that China has been on this lockdown. Um, (laughs) And so if we're the ones covering it, well, maybe we should, you know, start saying they've been there for a while. And and what is this going to look like when we start running into these shortages, as you spoke about, Lewis? But we have to take a quick break. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. We're back. Our guest today is Lewis Black, the CEO of Almonte Industries. 
Lewis, before the break, we were talking about the chip shortages or we were getting into that subject, uh, you know, and, and the, the backlog that's created for car dealers here in the U.S., just in terms of getting enough inventory to, to feed demand. Talk about how that chip shortage developed in the first place. I mean, I think it's a, it's a mystery to most Americans why that shortage even exists to begin with. Well, there are two primary sources of, of semiconductors, so Taiwan and South Korea. Th these are the two uh, biggest players um, in the world. And when lockdown was, was being enacted back in 2020, um, and of course, everyone had money in their pockets, and, and I, I don't know about you, but I, I went home and I looked at my laptop and I said, you know, this is like it's with Valve technology. And I said, you know what, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to go get a new computer. And you know what, my phone, you know, I, I don't know, it doesn't work very well. I went shopping like everyone else. Now, what we shop for traditionally now are, in fact, items that, you know, you know, white goods, you know, whether, you know, your washing machines, your, your dryers, your, fr your refrigerators, they all have semiconductors now, all of them. Right. And with that lockdown, there was a disruption in the supply. Now, the disruption has now been taken care of, but the demand for semiconductors has not slowed down. And there really was never the capacity to produce that many semiconductors in that short period of time. Then when we combine this shift to a greener future with EVs, and remember, an EV has more than double the number of semiconductors in it than a normal regular gasoline vehicle you're actually compounding the problem by saying, you know, people are now buying EVs, that the, the, the sales keep ticking up, as you say, great looking vehicles, but they, they have within them over 2000 semiconductors. And it takes about nine weeks to produce a semiconductor through a plant. So the, it's gonna take at least two to three years to get any kind of balance in the market. And in yeah. the interim, we're gonna have to live with this, these delays, there's nothing we can do. Um, you can't just knock up a semiconductor plant. Uh, you know, these are at the cutting edge of what we can achieve technically. So they are a very precision-based uh, uh, technology. And even the raw materials to produce them have to now be sourced. And, well, and that's the thing. You, you start talking about semiconductors, you start talking about electric vehicles, batteries, you're talking about these critical minerals. I mean, you, 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 tungsten's in everything. Well, so is this rare mineral called antimony is in everything and lithium and in all of these various critical minerals that uh, feed into all of those high-tech gadgets and cars and everything and and that's all i mean all of that's being disrupted uh, uh through through these supply chains dis disruptions as well correct yes absolutely and and i think so you've got increasing demand as we transition to a a different future uh, we're putting enormous pressure on the supply chain as it is. And we find ourselves that a lot of these specialty metals are really only available in jurisdictions that perhaps don't share the same values or they're not places you want to go on vacation. Uh, so they become more weaponized. Uh, you know, the question is, would Russia have rolled into a sovereign country had we really been able to significantly reduce our dependency on their raw materials? Because if you look at all the sanctions, they, they've really kind of stayed away from the actual raw materials. I mean, yes, they're not coming out through Europe now, but they're still finding their way to their customers via a different route. Because truth be known, we can't live, we can't replace those raw materials at the drop of a hat. Right. And just like the oil wars of the 70s, 
you can get upset, but how upset can you really get? <laughs> you, you know, you, you can't cut your nose to spite your face. So, you know, if you turn around to people and said, you know what, we have to give up, I don't know, electric vehicles now because 30 odd percent of the world's nickel comes out of Russia until we find a new source, which could take us a decade. What are people going to say? Well, you know, is Russia really that bad? You, you know, that's the problem we, we, we ultimately face. We have to find a solution, a medium to long-term solution to this problem. It can't continue like this. Yeah. And, and Lewis and David, this might be more of an opinion that I'm asking you guys versus fact-based, but just this morning, I released one of um, our, um, our flagship station, 740 KTRH, Michael Berry, released a story in which a climate, climate activist set himself on fire uh, in DC and actually died as a way of protesting climate change. This seems so extreme, but I'm wondering uh, why I bring that up is because, you know, when these EVs don't hit the market the way these climate alarmists expect them to, and that we're not moving fast enough in the way of, um, you know, saving the planet and climate change, um, because of these absence of raw minerals and supply chain issues. I mean, how much do you think the narrative is going to change because of this? Is, is, is it in jeopardy of destroying their future of seeing us you know, pivot to that EV mode, which is what they thought they were going to have with the Biden administration very easily? Well, the, the raw materials you need require mines, and, and that's not something that's very well supported through democracies. So there's your catch-22. Um, at the same time, you know, in terms of climate change, I think if you look on a purely pollution basis, developing countries have some way to catch up with developed countries. I think the United States now from 20 years ago is a very different uh, animal in, in the sense of, of, of its contribution to pollution or, or its lack, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's certainly vastly improved as is in Europe, but developing nations, much less so. Their progress has been nothing if not, they've seen increases in the pollution. So. You have to ask yourself, this is a global issue and has to be approached globally. You can't keep imposing on a certain democracy or democracies, you have to do better while everyone else gets a pass. Right. And, and that so really is the problem. Yeah. So setting yourself on fire is not the global answer. Uh, sure. Probably not, yeah. No, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, no, it's, that's not going to solve the problem. Well, we're going to get ready to go to break. When we return, we want to get back on the supply chain issue. We want to switch gears and talk about uh, lithium and other minerals and the Biden administration, some of their discussions that they've been holding. And then hopefully we can also answer the question, when does China come out of these lockdowns? If either one of you want to think about that answer, we'd love that too. But we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to an oil patch radio show and we'll be right back. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C. and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. 
Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210-240-7188. Again, 210-240-7188. We're back. Our guest today is Lewis Black, the CEO of Almonte Industries. Hey, Lewis, when you and I first spoke, I think it's been, it was in late uh, 2020, uh, you went through the history of how China uh, came in to be in such massive control of, of the supply chains for these energy minerals, uh, but you know, beginning back in the 1980s. And I wanted to just give you a chance to, just for our listeners, take a couple of minutes and kind of go through how, how that all happened with the, the Western democracies essentially giving up on mining and ceding all of this to China. Well, I, I think, you know, saying China controls it, it was really an inevitability of, of the situation. So I don't think they went into it saying we're going to control you know the future, um, but certainly in the in the 80s, China arrived in, arrived into the global market, and they brought with them a vast number of of strategic metals, which were very uh, very priced very well, yeah. which essentially bought them the market share because pretty much everyone went out of business in the democracies. Every mine pretty much went to the wall because they couldn't afford to compete with that, and because Western governments just weren't prepared or even thought it was possible that a nation state would in fact dump cheap material <laughs> to take market share. It was an inconceivable concept, but, but it happened. And Western democracies took the view of, well, you know what, you know, mines, you know, they haven't got a great environmental record, you know, there's tailing stamps and they're always breaking and there's people get killed and, and it's a dirty business. And you know what, if these guys want to make it, and you know, they, they seem nice, and, and they're very, it's very affordable, and that's great for our manufacturers. <laughs> yeah. You know, listen, who are we to say no? And so they kind of let it, they never really thought about the end game. They just looked at the short term, and the short term, there was a lot of benefits and no real negatives. Right. Fast forward. And, and so, you know, the second time we talked was last September, I think. And it was right as the big supply chain train wreck in the United States was happening at the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach. And you literally in that interview predicted everything that was going to happen, you know, since that time, everything you said has essentially come about. And, you know, the Biden administration has talked a lot about doing so many things about uh, to free up the supply chain issues uh, here in the U.S. and globally. Have they done anything, first of all, has anything really happened with this administration? And second of all, in your view, what steps could they take to actually improve the situation? 
Well, I, I think the, the first problem that any politician has is that in order to be able to look at what's going to happen, you have to look as to why it was happening in the first place. Yeah. And when you look at it, why it was happening in the first place, it doesn't look good for anybody politically. Because, it, <laughs> you know, it's a combination of, of too much government, you know, subsidy to people to go home and lockdowns. And you, so you have inflation and disruption of, of essentially the global economy in the same hat. So seeing what's going to what was going to happen was relatively straightforward. But if we look what they're doing right now, there's a bill, I think it's S3530, that's sort of working its way through the Senate, it's the Rare Earths Metals Act. Right. And it's very interesting. It's essentially is classified what a rare earth metal is. It includes tungsten, it includes manganese, includes lithium, and all these ones that, that I, I can't even pronounce that are used within electronics. And, and in it, it's very clear. It says, A, if you're a U.S. defense manufacturer, you cannot use Chinese rare earth metals, number one. Secondly, we want to strongly encourage our allies to follow suit. And thirdly, we now have to look very seriously at how do we procure these metals for the United States. And they're talking, finally, they're talking about offtakes and stockpiling. I think that one of the, the previous administration and, and the current administration, when they first came in, were looking at maybe financing mines. Yeah. You don't want to build a mine in the United States, only because ultimately it's not the place. It, 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 it sounds terrible, but you know, it, it's a federal system with states with different approaches. It, it, it's, it's much better federal government to give the market, the free market, the tools to go and provide those minerals that yeah. you, the United States need. And in these offtakes, I'm sure there'll be language that says, look, if you're going to supply us, you have to make sure it meets ESG. Uh, there's compliance, there's transparency. There's all kinds of rules and regulations for you to be, a, to be able to provide material to the United States government, who then in turn can sell it to US manufacturers, not US traders, but manufacturers. So yes, sometimes government moves slowly. Well, it always moves slowly, but this bill, I think will have a transformational effect in, in the approach. Um, and I think it's bipartisan, which I think is extremely important in, in the current political situation. It's not going to address every problem, but it's a great first step to start yeah. the alleviation that's going to take at least a decade or more to resolve. Well, Lewis, um, we're in the last few minutes of the show, and I did want to just kind of give you an opportunity to, to tell us. So with all of the lockdowns back in China, bringing it back, where do you see um, Almonte Industries ending up? Like if this continues on much longer, you know, you obviously... <laughs> supplies do run out where does this come full circle for you guys and us as well um where do you see this ending how long is china supposed to be on lockdown do you think and it's pretty serious because these they're they're not allowed to leave their houses and, and the media reports that we're getting is pretty dire over there there's no, no and, and they take your pets you, you know if you, if yeah, you positive, your, your pet gets it um yes, which you yes, know if you had a pet like me like my dog you i you know i'd be like oh, never mind but, <laughs> but generally you know it's it no it's it's very serious it's it's a it's a very draconian approach to a lockdown yeah. where does it end well omicron has shown us one thing that this is highly infectious and you have a billion and a half people there uh, of which a high degree are in urban areas this is going to rip through china 
uh, at an unbelievable pace. But but the good news is ultimately it will get through everyone and business will resume. But between now and then, it's going to be very difficult. Um, <clears throat> there's no doubt. And then you asked a question earlier about why is the media not giving it great attention? Well, the media is also in a catch-22. When there were lockdowns in the United States, no one could really say it was a bad idea. You know, whether you thought it was or not, you couldn't say it. It's now very difficult for the media to sort of pivot and say it's bad somewhere else, but it was, it was we didn't say anything when it was going on domestically. Yeah. So, you know, you've you, you got you to gotta give them the kind of the leeway to sort of say, you know, we can't really say much because we didn't say much when it was, even though lockdowns were much lighter in the US. You know, it's, it's, it's just one of those things. China's going to have to deal with it the way they deal with it. And we're going to have to just live with the consequences of that action, unfortunately. Well, you know, one thing that is good, David, I'm sure you, you might agree with this, is at least it might be bringing some light to how how we need to be looking at uh, independence ourselves for our minerals and how do we, like you talked earlier. You need choice. We, right, what you need, need is choice. choice. Yeah. You're not saying you shouldn't buy from China. You can buy from China. You don't buy. From, it's up to you. But you need another alternative if you choose not to, if you want a choice. That's how a free market works. That's Competition right. is great. What a concept. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Lewis, it was a pleasure having you as a guest on our show. We look forward to having you coming back. Um, and until the next time you come back on the show, thank you for joining us on In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you very much for having me. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.